You're listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Cork Raymer was a core member of the Nebraska Theater Caravan for 13 years and appeared in their touring production of A Christmas Carol for 18 years as Ebenezer Scrooge. Other memorable roles include Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha, King Arthur in Camelot, and Thenardier in Les Miserables, all at the Omaha Community Playhouse, Don Pedro in Much Ado About Nothing, Feste in Twelfth Night, and King of France in King John, all for the Nebraska Shakespeare Festival, and Bernadette in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for the Blue Barn Theater. Most recently, Cork was seen in Eminent Domain and One Man, Two Governors, both for the Omaha Community Playhouse. In addition, he voiced Purple Pie Man and Santa Claus for Strawberry Shortcake Cartoons, and George Washington, John Hancock, and Nathan Hale, for Liberty Kids. Cork Raymer, welcome to the green room. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm like a little surprised that you're having me because why? I well, I don't know why people would, would be interested. I think people would definitely be interested. <laughs> definitely. I'm just, I'm just this old guy actor. That lives no, 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 no. Where are you from originally? Originally from a little bitty town called Stella, Nebraska. And where is that located? It's down in the southeast corner of the state. It's in between Fall City and Auburn. Ooh, there's a big help. <laughs> My rescue dog is from Hearts United in Auburn, so I know yay, right where that is. Yay, Carol's a good friend of ours. That's okay. where our dogs have come oh, from, okay. Hearts United. Good, so. good, good, good. Yeah. What was the name of your grade school? D- uh, Stella. Stella. And did you do any... <laughs> That's all right, did you? Well, let's go back. Let's ask this. How many people live in Stella? 240 people. Wow. That is a tiny, yeah, that is a, a tiny little, little town. Well, first we lived in Fall City, sort of, until my father passed away when I was eight. And then we lived a lot with our maternal grandparents who helped raise us because mom was busy working. Uh, if you can imagine in the early 60s how it was for a woman to try to find a job and raise three children because uh, they're uh, two other brothers than me and... So we were, uh, well, we were poor. And two years after uh, dad died, my mom remarried the most wonderful human being I have ever met on the face of the planet, my stepdad, who we call dad, Clark Briggs. And that's when we moved to town. And oh my God, we had indoor plumbing. So that was exciting. And, and that was moving to Omaha? Yeah, so moving to Stella. Oh, to Stella. So yep. you were even, so you we, were... On a farm. You were on a farm, and then yeah. you moved to Stella proper. Yeah. Okay. So you went to Stella grade school, and yep. any any theater aspirations at that time? Did you do any class plays or anything like that? No, no, they, they didn't have those there. Once the school consolidated, they joined five schools all together. Uh, so that my class ended up being the biggest class in the school's history. We had 35 people, 
(laughs) (laughs) And when I was in junior high is when they consolidated and they had what they called school plays. And everybody in the high school would be involved. Well, I was in junior high, but they were doing Our Town. And I got cast as Joe the Paperboy. And that was my first ever play in the whole world was Our Town as Joe the Paperboy. And I, during rehearsals, I did this little ad-lib moment during the wedding scene, and it got a laugh. And from that moment on, I was hooked. (laughs) So, and I did the school plays in Stella, and then, here's a good story. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a junior in high school, we... Two of us went to the state speech contest, state speech and drama contest in Lincoln. It was a friend of mine, April, and I was her acting partner. It wasn't for duet acting. It was just supposed to be with her, and I was her partner for her scene, for her to go up and... So you were just there to make her look good? Yes. Okay. (laughs) And yeah, because she was uh, competing and I was not. Well, we did the scene and our judge was Dallas Williams who was the head of the UNL theater department at that time. I went I went to school, not when Dallas was there, but I remember the, the ghost of Dallas is yes. in the theater building. Yeah. yeah, I'm so old, I know when he was alive. Okay. And after we did the scene, it was all good, and these other schools did theirs, all the big schools from Omaha and Lincoln were doing their scenes. I was like, oh, this is these guys are really good. And then afterwards, they announced the best actor and actress for that competition – and I was the best actor. <laughs> and you weren't even competing. <laughs> and I wasn't even competing. And afterwards, I got my little certificate where they spelled my name wrong. <laughs> of course. And I was walking out of the Howell Theater and uh, the temple, and Dallas Williams came up to me and said, hey, we've got three roles we'd like you to do in our summer rep this summer if you'd be interested. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Well, you have to give up your Allstate thing. And I went, okay. So I gave it to the girl who would had been competing. I gave it to April. And I worked that summer in between my junior and senior year at UNL Summer Rep. And that's where I met Susie Bear Collins for the first time. Oh. We worked together in two diff- different shows that summer. I was in all three. She was in two of them. Slacker. (laughs) (laughs) What were the shows? Do you remember? The shows were Men of La Mancha. And that's when I decided someday in my life I'm going to play Quixote. And then the second show was We Bombed in New Haven by Joseph Heller. And it it, it was a show that people fell asleep in. (laughs) and the audience too (laughs) no not my favorite thing it was it was a very strange little show but this was you know 1971 and you know we were all on drugs and alcohol and and whatever and anyway and the other show was the scottish play okay which we toured in nebraska in the month of september so i missed my first month of my high school senior year because I was on tour, tour. with UNL Summer Rep. Wow. So, wow. And that's really how I got into theater. Okay. So you so you graduated high school and then did did you study theater at all in college? Or? No. I went to Peru State College, go Bobcats, for one year. 
but it was in college that I discovered the demon rum. <laughs> and uh, we became very good friends, and it kind of took over. And so I, I was not doing well in college because I was a, well, there you go. And I dropped out of college and went to work in the real world and kind of messed around until I moved to Lincoln in 1976. And that's when I started doing shows at the Lincoln Community Playhouse. And it was doing a show there that I met Jill Anderson, a lovely, lovely woman here in Omaha. And she said, hey, they're auditioning for the Nebraska Shakespeare Festival. And that was the second year of the festival. You should go audition. I went, okay. And she helped me get a resume together. And I went to the Shakespeare Festival and I got in. And then while I was at the Shakespeare Festival that summer, one of the guys there said, hey, they're auditioning for the role of Jacob Marley with the Nebraska Theater Caravans touring productions. You should go audition. I went, okay. And I went and auditioned for Carl Beck and Carolyn Rutherford. And I did not get Jacob Marley. I got Scrooge. <laughs> and I did that for 18 years. Wow. Yeah. I traveled all over creation. Yeah. And that was my end to the Nebraska Theater Caravan, was doing Christmas Carol with them. Okay. So, but you, you did other shows with Nebraska Theater Caravan besides Christmas Carol, correct? Oh, dear God, yes. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I was with them so you were steady a, so, for 13 years. Okay, so you were a core member then with yes, them. Yes. Okay. Yeah, for 13 years. Okay. So, for those who aren't familiar with how the theater caravan works... Can you, I think they might know a little bit about the Christmas Carol tour, but let's, and we could talk about that as well, but let's talk about where all, how many shows the Nebraska Theater Caravan does and and typically what you guys do when you go out on the road Okay, stuff. well, well back, back in the day, long <laughs> ago, back then when you were in the caravan, you did three shows, an elementary school show, a high school show, and a general public show. And you also taught workshops. And then you would, we would all meet in August, rehearse for four weeks, put the three shows up in four weeks, and then hit the road. And we would tour in western Nebraska, in greater Nebraska, sorry, greater Nebraska for seven weeks. And we would come back around the 1st of November, and then we would do so, Christmas Carol. So you would do all three shows. So when you went yes. out in greater Nebraska, yeah. you would do an elementary show, you would do the high school show, and then you just do this. And it, and was it the same show for each, for each one? Just like different variations? Like no, a, okay. it was not. It was different shows. It was a different show, yeah. Okay. It was three different shows. Okay. And I was uh, blessed enough to be working during the Susie Bear Collins era back then and Jonathan Cole, who wrote these amazing amazing pieces for children's theater that were just wonderful. And, you know, I got to be in the original cast of all of them, and it was wonderful. Yeah, a a day in the life of Nebraska Theater Caravan. You got up at the crack of crack and drove to a city or town, and you went in and you set up, because we we had uh, a tech crew of two people. (laughs) (laughs) Our TD and our uh, road stage manager slash position. 
during the later years, it changed. We had ooh four people on the tech crew, <laughs> but and you were probably all in like a fifteen seat passenger van. Yes, we were mm-hmm. uh, fifty one or two, depended on the size of the company. Sure, a uh, fifteen passenger van, and then a twenty six foot truck with that held all the sets and costumes right. and lights because we traveled with everything. Wow. Okay. Because where we were playing had nothing. Sure. And and. You get up in the morning, and then you go to the school, and you'd set up, and the cast was involved in the load-in, and you'd set up, and then you'd do the children's show, and then you might teach a workshop, or you just have a break, and then you would do the high school show. In the same place. In the same place, and then you had had a longer break for dinner and all that, where you also taught a workshop probably during that period, and then you would do the evening show, and then you would tear the set down and either stay all night in that town or drive to the next town. Now, some day, some places had you there for two or three days, and so you could space out. This. You'd do the kids' shows one day and teach workshops, and then the next night, like on a Friday or Saturday, you'd do the general public show. Right. So in between doing the kids' show and the workshop and trying to grab a bite to eat, you've got to switch the sets over yes. to the next show, yep. and then again around dinner time, so that you have it for the general public show. Then everybody's got to tear it down. Yeah, our, go- our tech crew uh, was never paid what they should have been mm-hmm. paid ever. Mm-hmm. Now we also would get kids from the high schools to help us. You know, who were in the drama program or in the smaller schools, the music and English department, right. and they would spend the day with us. All day, helping us tear down, and then they would be backstage with, you know, they, those kids, well, they got an experience they probably never, ever wanted in their life. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, though, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I did a little bit of touring when I was with Opera Omaha, and it was very, it was very similar to, to what the caravan was, and... And I've relayed this story before that the the young singers that we had, you know, would freak out. We'd go to these like really small towns like Arapahoe, Nebraska, and like everybody and his brother would show up for like you know this performance of Hansel and Gretel, and they'd be like, "Oh, they're gonna hate it." And I'm like, "No, you don't understand. They, you know, unless they're going to like Denver or Scotts Bluff or someplace, you know, or trekking all the way into Omaha," I said, "They're not gonna see this." So this is a big deal, <laughs> and it was. And yeah, it, and yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah, too. with the caravan, it was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, people looked forward to the caravan coming every yes. year during this time. And after all those years working with it, I got to know, you know, the people that lived in that town, the teachers that we had contact with, the sponsors that brought us in and blessed their hearts, fed us throughout the day, and the students. The one in particular, his name is Jamie, and he was a student at Sutton, Nebraska. And he is now the director for the Beatrice Community Playhouse. Oh. And we always knew when once we met Jamie, we met him in junior high. And we kind of, okay, oh, yeah, this is a theater kid. Yeah, well, you could just tell, you know, he, you could tell he had the bug, his eyes lit up, and he... He's this marvelous piano player, and he's a great singer, and all this stuff. And Matthew Campreth and I, who was my partner in crime back in those days, he invited us to his high school graduation. Oh. 
because we had been the influence in his life. The caravan had been in the influence of his life to go into his career of theater. And we thought that was so wonderful. But and yeah, and you heard from people throughout the year, you know, or oh, when are you coming back or who's coming back with you? Do we know anyone that's coming back? Right. Right. So so you said you were out for four months. You get back in November to get ready for a Christmas carol. Yes. And then you rehearsed for three weeks, put Christmas carol up, and then you were gone for four, four and a half weeks with Christmas carol. I always did the Midwest or West Coast tour. And there were three tours back then. Yes. There was the East Coast, Midwest, and West Coast. Some years. The West Coast wasn't always because mm-hmm. it was not the moneymaker <laughs> because, the well, the venues were so far apart Sure. that... That was the tour you wanted to be on because it was the vacation tour. <laughs> there was, I know, one uh, West Coast tour that we did. Uh, it was all, that was also the tour that went to Alaska. Mm. And in uh, four weeks, we did 14 shows. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a vacation tour. Yeah. I would, you know, my, I, we were in San Francisco. We were in San Francisco doing Christmas Carol. <laughs> and... I said, I called my wife, like, you got to come out here to San Francisco. We got four days off. <laughs> so it's free hotel. We got per diem. We can eat for free. Come on. So she flew out and spent four days with me in San Francisco. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that was, that was the vacation tour. Mm-hmm. The, the East Coast tour was the work your butt off tour because they did lots of one-nighters, lots of one-nighters. The Midwest was a cushier tour. Because you had two large sit-downs in two amazing theaters. You sat down for a five days in Columbus, Ohio. And you sat down for five days in St. Louis, Missouri. And then other days you would, you would do one-nighters or you'd do two days or you'd do three days. So it was, an, it was a much easier tour, which is good because, you know, I was getting older then. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you, did the, you said you did that for 13 years? I did Scrooge. I did the you core did company Sc- for thirteen. I did Scrooge for eighteen. For eighteen. Yeah. And you and you were Scrooge all of those years. Yes. So in between, so when you weren't doing Caravan, so then after you got back after Christmas, then was there a break, and then you would do another show in the spring. Then once we got back in January, February, and part of March, we were called in residency at the Omaha Community Playhouse, and we were the the Caravan show was the main stage show in the winter. Okay. In January and February, we were the main stage show. But we also went out every day and taught workshops at Omaha schools. And we did our children's show also during the day. So you were doing two two shows a day, sometimes three, teaching workshops and doing a show at night. So, I yeah, I lived at the Omaha mm-hmm. Playhouse during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And you did that until March. And then you would go out on spring tour with these three shows and when I first started, we would go out through the like the end of May and play the eastern half of the United States. So, yeah, you, yeah, it was a great contract. And then yeah. that was like a nine-month, literally a nine-month contract. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in the summer, when the caravan was dark in June and July, I would do the Nebraska Shakespeare Festival. Sure. And do that in June and July. Yeah. And I did the Shakespeare Festival for 20 years. Okay. Whew. God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say out of, what would you say were your most memorable roles or the roles that you liked the most when you were doing stuff with Nebraska Shakespeare? One I didn't think would be my favorite role, but 
it turned out to be one of the one of the best roles I did for me, and it's my wife's favorite role that I ever did was Festy in Twelfth Night. She loved that conception that they had for the character Festy. He was almost a clown mime guy who ran around controlling all this stuff. And that was a lot of fun. I played, we did, during my time with them, we did Much Ado twice. And I did Don uh, John the first time. No, Don Pedro the first time and Don John the second time. So I did both of those guys. And that was, I loved doing those roles. Recent, two years ago, I got connected back with the Shakespeare Festival. And they did the production of King John, and I got to be the King of France in that. That was great, because it was this great costume, and I got to rant and rave and throw stuff on stage and wield a sword and threaten a child. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a great load of fun. I, uh, my very, very first role with the Nebraska Shakespeare Festival was The Wall in Midsummer Night's Dream. I loved being the wall. <laughs> and that was the year that they, the first time they did Hamlet. And I was the ghost of Hamlet's father. Wow. Why? <laughs> because I sound like a ghost. <laughs> it was just so I could go, remember me. <laughs> and I was also the first player. Now, now, now I have to, now I have to, can you say this is CNN? <laughs> this is is CNN. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the funny thing of about it was that first year we did it when I was the ghost of Hamlet's father, we weren't mic'd at that time. It was just floor mics. Right. But they put a mic on me and they ran me through the soundboard and they lowered my voice. Even more. Yeah. And I was like, why? <laughs> I can do that on my own. Right. Yeah. And they made me taller. Four because, inches taller. Because you're not tall enough. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm six two, and they right. made me four inches. Well, because the guy playing Hamlet was, was six tall. three. Okay. Well. And they wanted me to be bigger than Hamlet. Right. So I, they put me in the lift shoes, and and I was four inches taller than I normally <laughs> am, and I wore a hat that was eighteen inches tall. So I was this really, really tall pencil-looking thing <laughs> on stage. Because it, it, if for those that don't know. What I look like, I'm like really thin mm-hmm. and always have been, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the roles that you've done at um, at the Playhouse. What are your favorite? Well, obviously you did Don Quixote. Yeah, I finally, that was that was a bucket list role that I finally got to cross off Yeah, uh, about three years ago. I finally got to cross that role off. Another bucket list role I had always had was Tenardier. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that role. And I got it with the Omaha Community Playhouse in an, an amazing company. That company was just dropped down perfect for that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was great. And I got to do that one. But before that, I've, I've done King Arthur in Camelot. That was a few years ago when I was younger and could do that. <laughs> and during that time, also, I did uh, Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. Oh. And I also, I did Sheridan Whiteside in The Man Who Came to Dinner. Now, Sheridan Whiteside is usually played by a large person because they make jokes about his size in the show, which we cut out (laughs) because you can't, I don't have any size. Right. (laughs) No, no, you don't. (laughs) I'm, I'm a little person. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that was great because in that show, I every I worked with Matt Campreth and Pam Carter were also in the cast. And there was this scene where it was just Matt Campreth and Pam Carter doing the scene. And I'm on stage just watching them. And that was a joy mm-hmm. every night, watching these two amazing people just go. And often they would stick to the script. <laughs> but there were many nights when their object in life was to make the man in the wheelchair pee himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was hard. That was hard watching those two do things that weren't in the script, but they were never out of character and right. they were never took away from the play. Right. They were always within the moment, but I was the only one on stage that knew something was awry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so if the audience had been paying attention to me, which they weren't because I was just some skinny old man sitting in a wheelchair (laughs) while these two crazy people were working, if they had looked over to their left, they would have seen having little seizures in my wheelchair. (laughs) Holding back the laughter. Yeah. Talk a little bit for me, if you would, about the challenge of your role in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, my God. That was the hardest role I've ever done in my life. Because the best advice I ever got on acting was from a wonderful man in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he said, acting is not putting on a mask. It's taking one off. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everyone goes, oh, I'm, I became the character and I became this guy. No, that's a bunch of BS. You're still you. You can't be anything but you. But we all, as humans, have these 97 bazillion sides to ourselves. Some of them we like. Some of them we keep locked away so that the world does not see them. We as actors open that door and let those people out. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And... and and then we the, reel them back and in. And then we reel them back in. Well, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they just live out there forever. Oh, I hit the microphone. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Bernadette, when I got the call to come and audition for Bernadette, I was like, really? Had you seen the movie? Yes, I had seen the movie. And I was like, well, I, hmm, I make a big old ugly woman. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I don't know. But I went down and I auditioned, and I auditioned with Mark Hendricks and a couple other people, and Mark got in the show as one of the three queens. And I told my wife I got in the show as as Bernadette and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and she was like, uh-huh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. That's good. Her fear was not the character I was playing right. or the show. She was afraid it was going to be camp. Oh. And it was just going to be, oh, look at the gay man running around on the stage. You know, whatever. And it, and it was not that. No. Bless you, Susan, the director. She kept it real. And that made it harder. for Because it's really easy to play a camp drag character. Yep. That's, you know, four-year-olds do it. Yep. But to play an actual trans character. And the character of Bernadette in the play is a trans character. He's having this whole process done. Playing that 
and keeping it real was really, really hard. And I actually found myself having to stay in that physicalness during all during rehearsals, all during the run backstage. I walked and I carried myself as a woman all the time because it wasn't just something you could slip in and out of. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. wasn't that kind of character, you know, where you walk off stage and you go, well, I was good. How are you doing? <laughs> right. No, right. you had to continue it mm-hmm. off stage. And I'm kind of an outside-in actor. And so once I got my fingernails grown out, yes, ladies, I grew my own fingernails. <laughs> once I got those out and polished and they gave me the wig and I got my rehearsal skirt and did the makeup and it was like, well, here she is. And then Susan and I worked hard for me to find a voice because, as you can imagine, I don't have a, a female-sounding voice at all. No. And that was one of the hardest parts. And I'll never forget, it was our opening weekend, and our daughter came with my wife to see the show. And I knew where they were sitting because it's the Blue Barn. It's a little tiny place, and you can see people. Right. And I had seen where... Our daughter Shelly and my wife were sitting, and I was okay. Here we go. They're right down close. Oh God! And fear was overcoming me, and you can't imagine the sweat. And I walked out, my first entrance, and I walked out, and I hear our daughter go, "Oh my God!" <laughs> but it was a good "Oh right, my God!" Right? It wasn't right. like "Oh dear, he's finally gone off the end." Right. It was a good "Oh my God!" Yeah. And then when the show was over, it was even more because apparently, from what people tell me, I carried it off. You did, and I did, you know, and that that I was so proud of doing that role to carry that because that was really hard, man. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. was hard to put myself in that position. I had to reach way back to find the trans woman part of me mm-hmm. and got it. but i knew i knew i had it when the lovely artist michelle who who designed the the curtain yes. that we used for that show yes and did a lot of this uh, all the pretty stuff in that show she was talking to susan one day and she thought i was gay mm. and I, and susan told her no he just transformed and that was that one I got it. I, yeah. I got it. I, I, I beat on things. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get you a pillow. I'll get you a pillow to slap. I'll just start slapping myself. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was when I knew, okay, okay, old man, you got this. Mm-hmm. You got it going on. So mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. The other thing that made it really hard about that show was the shaving. Dear God in mm-hmm. heaven. I had to shave from my eyebrows down. Mm-hmm. Everything. Because mm-hmm. there's something they don't tell straight people about doing uh, drag. And it's the the wonderful world of tucking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey now, that, we won't go into that, but that and the shaving, it was, it was, right? it, it was yeah. high maintenance role. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. high maintenance. Yeah. You never saw so much hair in the bathtub in your life. Did you find, was it hard to... And I'll ask you this in a general sense. When you transform in a character, whether it's Don Quixote or in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, or Scrooge, or whatever role you're doing, 
Once you're done with a role, do you find it hard to shed that character? Yep. Ask my wife. <laughs> she says, I bring them home. Which was which was okay for some characters, but a long time ago, back at Lincoln Community Playhouse, I played Henry VIII. Okay, you could wrap your head around that, this little skinny man playing Henry VIII. But that's another story of how I got that role. But I played Henry VIII. Not the most congenial of human beings that ever walked the planet. And my wife said, I brought him home. And I've done that with lots of characters. And it takes a, a few days or a week for that character to completely leave myself. I'll find myself in conversations with people suddenly talking like that character. What the hell am I talking like Scrooge? Mm. Or, you know, why is Bernadette showing up now? <laughs> I don't know. But I just, it just, it stays with you for a while. I think mm-hmm. every actor goes through that. It, mm-hmm. it just stays with you for a while. Yeah, and that and that's true. I mean, when I was, when I was doing Old Shady... And, uh, and I, you know, I'd be at work and I work for a tax firm and somebody would say something and I'd go, yep. <laughs> and I kind of look at you and I'm like, I'm sorry. And yeah. they're like, old Shady came out. I'm like, yeah, I channeled him for a while. Yeah, it, it, it just happens I, because you, you spend so much time with that character that you're playing that it becomes part of your physical memory, your mental memory. It's all still there. You know, and you hear someone in the real world say something, you go, that's my cue. <laughs> you know, and it just, and you just, like, <laughs> my wife will get disgusted at me at times because someone will ask me a question and I will answer it as a character. <laughs> and I go, well, because that was the cue line that I had back in that show, back in, you know, <laughs> eight, and it was good. So I, you just, I don't, I don't. It just happens. Yeah, because you know actors are an odd breed. Mm-hmm. We are. It's probably one of the most noble professions. Teaching being the most noble profession in the world, because nobody becomes anything without a teacher. True. We're just little lumps of clay and sponges and then they put us into a school you know we soak up what our parents and our siblings teach us and then they put us in a school and that's where we start to go i'm becoming i'm becoming you know and we because the teachers set you on any path you can choose they've given you the tools to go out into the world and become you know, I didn't have a favorite trauma teacher because back where I came from, there really wasn't such a thing. Mm-hmm. I've had favorite directors, but there really wasn't such a thing. So, But I had teachers that set me toward a goal. They didn't know they were doing it. They were just teaching me, and they were being my mentors and my instructors. But through their teaching, I got to be where I am today. Yeah. And now for another soapbox moment. No, no. So now let's, so you are now in effect though a teacher yourself because you work with white arts. Yes. I retired from the workaday world. And what did you do in the workaday world before you retired? Name it. <laughs> you did a bunch I of did everything. everything. I did a lot of everything. The last job I had, I was a shipper at a warehouse and I, but the boxes came down, and I weighed them, and I put the stickers on them, and I put them on a pallet, and I put the loaded pallets on the truck. 
It was so exciting, you can't stand it. Uh, but that company closed. And I was like, oh, God, I'm in my 60s. What am I going to do for a job? Who's going to hire you know, a man in his early 60s? And I went, no, no, no. And my wife talked to our accountant. And she said, well, you normally would retire in two years. And I went, yeah. And that's, you know, and she went, you know what? If you retire now, you'll make up that loss in just a couple of years. It'll be fine. So I went, I'm retiring. <laughs> I'm not looking for work. There we go. And then Kim Jubinville called me and asked me if I wanted to be part of Arts, And I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And she told me what it was, and I'm like, well, that sounds good. So for people who don't know what Y-Arts is, can you give a brief summary? It's an, an organization here in Omaha that brings the arts, because it's not just theater. Mm-hmm. It's all aspects of the arts to everybody, underprivileged uh, elementary students uh, in middle schools and to children and adults with special needs, the otherly abled physically and mentally. We take theater and do it with, I take, that's my job, I take theater and do it with them. And they have visual artists and, and, and uh, theater artists. And it, it's this amazing organization that brings people theater that don't have access to theater simply because of their economics or their... Heck, where they live in town, even that, you know, and it's it's really a good organization because it it touches so many people. Uh, the visual arts are done exclusively in the middle schools. They don't do grade schools with them. The visual arts starts in middle schools, and I've worked in elementary schools, and I've worked in high schools, and I've also worked with the Monroe. Uh, Meyer Institute dealing with otherly abled adults. and So you set your own program and your own curriculum? Is that what you do? Or when Kim got in touch with you and she said, this is what we are, how then did you develop your program that you take uh, out? These Right here, if you could see me, I'm pointing to my hind end. Uh, this is the seat of my pants. I fly by that often. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And Kimmy told me, I said, okay, and we'd like you, and you could go to this school and you would do theater games with the kids. I went, okay. Because I had done workshops with children mm-hmm. for 13 straight years right. with the Nebraska Theater Caravan. So, you know, I had this well of workshops to draw from. And she so said, what would you do? And I said, well, I could do this, 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 and this, and this, this with these kids. I also, back in another life, worked as a puppeteer mm. on a kid's TV show in Lincoln. And so I said, I can also, I can do puppets. Uh, I have did that for a living. And, you know, I can teach them how to make simple puppets and work with puppetry. And so I do that as well with them. And, yeah, I, just, I kind of make up what I'm going to do, except if they send me on a special project. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, when I first went to Gomez Elementary... I was just teaching kids, some, uh, just working with them in theater games. And then they went, we've got this thing called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. And it's famous people in Omaha's history. And it's this little bitty script. And they gave me the script that they had used. And then I changed it and adapted it to the kids that I had in my class. And we, each kid portrayed a different famous Omaha person. 
and they were being interviewed as they came, traveled through time, and came back and, and talked to these people. And then I went to another school. They said, hey, that was successful. Let's take it to this school. And I showed the kids the script I had written for the Gomez kids, and they went, what about Latino people? Because this is a heavily Latino school. And I went, oh, I don't know. Because there was only one in the show I had done at Gomez, and that was for Babe Gomez, for whom the school is named, who right. was a Korean war hero. I went, I don't know. So I got on the internet, and I looked up, and I went, oh, there's a Latino uh, lawyer. who ca- She came here from New Mexico, and she worked for a law firm, and then she started her own practice here in Omaha and is still going today. Oh, look, there's a Latino artist. She is a, a painter and artist with the uh, Nebraska Arts Council, and she and her husband started a museum of uh, Mexican history and Latino history. I'm like, oh, I can use those people here. Mm-hmm. And I found this lady called Octakeen, who is a member of the Omaha tribe, and she's one of 12 people on the whole planet that fluently speaks the Omaha language. Wow. And she is, her mission in life is to keep the language alive. Because once her generation is gone, so is the language. Right. And so she's on a mission to keep, so I used her, you know, as these famous Omaha people. Wow. That is really cool. So you only do the YRTs here in Omaha, or do you travel that around as well? No, it's just here in Omaha. Uh, Maybe Council Bluffs, Mm -hmm. but uh, just in Omaha, the greater Omaha area. And then the uh, Carolyn Anderson, the Big Mamu at the Y Arts, mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you, you know, you guys should uh, become part of the Nebraska Arts Council, the Nebraska Artists in the Schools, because then we can get more grants, and you guys can get grants easier to do this stuff." And so, a bunch of us became members, uh, became artists in the schools, and the grants have already started coming in for the Y Arts program, and that's okay, good. Yeah. Very cool. Let's talk for a moment about, you've done some TV. You've done like some cartoons. Yeah. Oh, cartoons. That's the best acting gig in the world. If you can get into a cartoon, get there because it's the best. You don't have to memorize lines. You don't have to wear makeup. You don't have to wear costumes. You you can show up unshaven and unkempt and it's great. And you go into the studio and they tell you what this, they give you a picture of what you look like. So you can start to develop a voice and you get the script and you just, bam, you record the lines, you do it until you get it right, and then they send you home with a great wad of money. <laughs> There's no downside to this. Right. None. Yeah, I was very fortunate to get involved. Thank you, Pam Carter. She's the one who asked me to come in and do uh, Strawberry Shortcake and Liberty's Kids. It was first for Liberty's Kids, and there was this gaggle of uh, middle-aged people, middle-aged guys, who did the all the basic voices for the show, and one poor 16-year-old girl who was there with us, the poor thing. I, she's probably in a home somewhere now <laughs> after being traumatized by these seven middle-aged men. <laughs> but, yeah, and we did 40 episodes of, and they had every... Hollywood star, you can guess, doing guest voices on this. It was just amazing. They recorded their voices either in Hollywood or in New York, depending on where the actor was. And then you guys were here. And then we were here in Omaha, yeah, because they recorded the base of it here in Omaha. And also, that's where they did all the Starberry Shortcake cartoons were here in Omaha as well. And that was a wonderful, a wonderful gig. We got to bring them back. They're now all in Canada. 
But we got to find some way to bring them back to Omaha because there's a large pool of vocal talent in this town mm-hmm. that can do all these things. And yeah, I'm am- I'm amazed at how many actual. Uh- voiceover like cartoons and things like that we're done here in omaha yeah it's i don't think people realize no i don't think they do either the hub of of talent that comes out of this town Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing and to be envied and and people always ask me do you do voiceover work and no (laughs) i don't because the market has changed no longer the the big male sonorous voice is no longer if you listen to commercials you don't hear voices like mine anymore Mm -hmm. Except for maybe some movies that, you know, you know, on a planet where people, you know, you hear it right. then. But for commercials and all that, you hear that, well, the, the, the goddamn younger people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's who you hear. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, that's, and that's, that's the game now. It'll probably swing back around to the uh, James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sam Elliott kind of voice someday. Right. And um, then I'll be dead. Yep. <laughs> So that won't work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. we'll, but we'll always have this podcast. Yeah, and I also got in, uh, one of the best things I ever got into was a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. Ooh. Yeah, back in, ni- back in 1991. <laughs> they filmed the Hallmark here? Hall. Yeah, it was shot in Lincoln, outside of Lincoln, in little towns outside of Lincoln. They built a set on a farm, and they used a farm out there for this, and Jessica Lang was in it. And that's back when Heather Graham was still, nobody knew who she was. And bless his heart, Tom Aldridge was in it. He was this marvelous character actor that is gone now. But yeah, I played Jessica Lange's dad. <laughs> uh, my whole thing was I, I laid in a bed and I had like a five-minute speech and some lines with other characters and then I died in the show. And that was it. That was it. And But it was seven days of great work. Yeah. And they just threw money at us. Those of us that got lucky enough to be in there, they just threw money at us. Was she nice or was she... I, I never met Miss Lang, except okay. sort of briefly on the side. Uh, Smoke like a chimney, Marlboro Reds. Mm. So back in that time, so was I. Right. <laughs> and, that, and so, we, you know, that was like, oh, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I worked closely with Heather Graham. Oh, okay. Who played the young... And, okay, if this gets it to Heather Graham, I'm, I'm sorry, honey... But it's the truth. Okay. She was a very sweet girl. I'm sure she still is. Uh, she's not a girl anymore. But she was 21 then. And she's very sweet, very nice, dumber than a bag of hammers. Okay. <laughs> I just lost any chance of working with Heather Graham ever again. But anyway, no, she wasn't not dumb, naive, green. Sure. Yeah. Let's put it that way. She wouldn't do it. And they brought in a dialect coach for us to work with. They gave us tapes to listen to these dialects. Because everyone who did Swedish accents was taught by someone who uh, was British mm. and doing Swedish accents. And so there was this British quality to them, which the director did not want. And so he had actual Swedes send us stuff. And so we could learn Swedish accents never really got into her mm-hmm. pattern. It never really got there. And which, and, but it was okay. I mean, she was nice. And I had a ball. Yeah. I had a ball. You know, I'd just sit outside of the set. We filmed in this little cabin that they made. And they'd, they'd wow, Mr. Raymer, stand in, come in. And they had this guy go in and lay in. All I did was lay in a bed. <laughs> 
So they brought, so they had somebody so they brought this the guy lay you. in the bed while they set up the lights and the camera angles and all this stuff. And they go, Mr. Raymer, we're ready for you on the set. So that my stand-in would come out and I would go and I'd lay in the bed and I'd talk for a while and we'd do some takes. And then they go, okay, we'll set up for the next shot. And I'd go out and I'd sit in the chairs and talk with the cast while my stand-in would go and lay in the... Okay. And I was telling you, for the money they were giving, I, I will lay in that bed. I will just stay there. It's okay. You don't need to give me a stand. I, you're paying me more money than I'm worth. So it's okay. I'll just lay here. Got it? If I nod off, just prod me. I'll wake up. You know. <laughs> but it was a great process. And then that's when I discovered the the, the magic of the craft service wagon. Oh. Holy crap. That's where, because the, they ask you, uh, when you sign your contract, they, they got this list. What's your favorite snacks and drinks and things and all that stuff? And then they buy them for you. <laughs> and you go to the craft service wagon, and the little lady is there. Thank you, Stephanie Anderson. She was our craft service lady. Oh. <laughs> and we go there, and she would just hand you things. You just got stuff. You know? And I, so I was like, well, I'm, I milked that system, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and they brought in a chef from Los Angeles to cook our meals. And we sat under this lovely large tent while we had these gourmet meals on this set. It was like, damn. And you went, then after you were done, you would go to your trailer. And yes, I had a trailer. Did have your name on the door? Yes, it did. Because <laughs> I was one of the speaking parts in the movie. So you got all this stuff. And it was the most boring, dull, <laughs> Hallmark Hall of Fame movie ever made. My wife and I went to the premiere, which they had in Red Cloud, Nebraska, because it was it was based on Willa Cather's book, O Pioneers. Mm -hmm. And they had the premiere in Red Cloud, Nebraska. So we were all sitting in the gym and doing this in the cast. And they're all oh, the director and there's the producer. And I was the only one of the cast that came because they were all out in Hollywood. But <laughs> we were sitting there watching the movie and I'm going, dear God, <laughs> this is deadly dull and then i remembered well yeah it's a book by willa cather it's a wonderful book but it's about dirt okay it's about dirt it's about farming and that's hard to translate excitingly onto the screen thank god the two younger actors they had were good looking <laughs> <laughs> so that people had something to look at. <laughs> because, wow, it, it was like, we got up after the show, the, the, the penman and the people were you know, applauding nicely, a lot of golf clapping going on. And we got up, my wife went, oh dear, that was kind of dull. I went, yeah, that was deadly dull. <laughs> but I made, a, I made a great deal of money for doing that because they didn't get my close-ups right. Because <laughs> I figured, well, they, they looked at my face in close-up and went, oh, dear God, <laughs> how do we fix this? So they brought me in on a Saturday to just do my close-ups. Okay. <laughs> Am I getting Hollywood enough for you out there? Okay. So, and they just brought me in, which means we were on golden time because it was not only time past the contract I had signed, it was a Saturday. Right. So this was, you know, you walked out 14 pounds heavier from the money they stuffed into your pockets. It was it was great. That was the day I took my wife to the set. 
<laughs> and let her see all this idiocy that was going on. It's like, yeah, I can understand it. Is that dumb or what? You know? <laughs> 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 cool. and, and the set was air-conditioned. They built this little wooden cabin thing, sod house thing. Good, you know, they weren't air-conditioned, but they had right. this giant tube that they stuck into the set through a, a back door and then they would just run this air conditioner like crazy while, while before they did the scene. Right, just, just to cool it down. Yeah, it would get like, you know, 12 degrees in there. And then they'd turn it off because we were filming in the summer because it took place in the winter. Oh, yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> and so it was supposed to be winter. So we were all wearing these coats, wool. We had wool everywhere. <laughs> So they had to air condition it or, you know, we would have dropped like flies. But it was very, I was like, damn, these people have, and they, I asked them, you know, how many takes do you do? And the director said, well, this is television, so we only do like 14. I'm like, 14? <laughs> I come from the stage where if you don't get it right the first time, you're screwed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got a chance to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it was four, I got 14 chances. Go, let's do this. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I. Hello, I babble. No, that's great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and then I, when I moved to when we lived in Lincoln, and I stopped doing Christmas Carol. That's when I kind of stopped doing theater altogether. I didn't do anything at LCP. I was on their play reading committee. That was it. But I didn't do any plays, and I didn't do any until the Playhouse did Les Mis. And I went, I have got to be in that production, and I. Oh, you know, so you were and, so so you had stuff for a long time then. Yeah, because I I retired from uh, touring in two thousand six. That was my last tour, and the only reason I stopped touring, I didn't stop touring because I'm tired of dying screws. I hate this show. This sucks. No, I still love the show. To this day, I love it. And I would love to do Scrooge again, but not on a tour. <laughs> because that's a young man's game. I'm old. And so living on a bus and out of a suitcase for four and a half weeks loses its gloss after about an hour. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. really t- And my last tour, my wife went, you were grumpy all the time. Every time we talked, you were really grumpy. I'm like, it's because I'm living on a bus. And there are other people on it. <laughs> and they don't go away. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's when I realized, yeah, I need to stop this before I hurt a Cratchit child. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Where's oh, Tiny Tim? Hi, uh, Playhouse, yeah, okay. <laughs> Could you send out another kid? <laughs> what happened to the other one? Cork ate it. <laughs> <laughs> There's Tiny Tim. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I decided it was best for the show and for me that I stop. Sure. And that's why I did. It was just because I became a disgruntled. I, did, I didn't want to live on a bus anymore. That was hard. Yeah. And I have arthritis in my knees. And sitting on a bus for eight hours will just send you to a new place of pain yeah. after a while. So yeah. you know, that's, that's why I left. I, not because of the role or the show, right? which is, for me, still pure D magic. But just because I, I'm an old grumpy person.
There you go. Which is perfect for Scrooge. Actually. Yes. It was. <laughs> yeah. That was an easy character. That was an to, easy character. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. It really was easy. Uh, my best Scrooge story. Okay. Yeah. Here it is. Here it is. My best Scrooge story. We were in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And the person that set up all the publicity thought, wouldn't it be great if we interviewed Scrooge? And I told her, no, that's a bad idea. Because he's not a good interview. He's a grumpy, grouchy, mean human being. Oh, it'd be fun to do Scrooge. It'd be great fun. It'd be great fun. So we started these interviews at six in the morning. So I'm up like really early getting into costume and makeup. And we're going to the first television station to do this first interview and I'm on set and I'm, I mean, I, I get in character and I'm Scrooge. And <laughs> the, the person doing the interviewing, you know, we make our chat, chat, chat. And I went, okay, I'm going to get Scrooge on now. And said, okay. Three, two, one. Mr. Scrooge, are you going to be redeemed this year? No. <laughs> what are you going to help tiny Tim? No. <laughs> and after about four of those questions, this interviewer was smart enough to know this isn't going anywhere. Right. And she went, oh, and playing Mr. Scrooge's Cork Raymer. And then she talked to me as Cork. Right. Which was better somewhat than talking to Scrooge. And they went, that was the same year they sent me out. Every year in Columbus, they would send some cast members out and they would uh, carol in the mall that was hooked onto the theater in downtown Columbus. And so here are all these Dickensian characters going out and caroling, la da 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 And then let's have Scrooge go with them. Guys, no, it's a bad idea. <laughs> That's really not a good idea. Oh, no, 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 you go out with them, you go out with them. And so I spent my time in the mall walking into stores and yelling at people <laughs> for spending their money on frivolous things <laughs> and walking around the mall just pissing off everybody <laughs> and berating Christmas. This is, Christmas is a terrible time of year. It's awful. All you people walking around pretending to like one another. You know, it was just, and, and that's when they realized, okay, let's not do that again. Because, <laughs> you know, I said, just send me out of court. I'll walk around, you know, in my street clothes and go, hey, I'm playing Scrooge at the Ohio Theater. Come see it. It's great. But if I'm walking around in Scrooge, and there's Christmas all around me. I it's not. I went and yelled at Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, it's Father Christmas, and I was not. I was not polite. So they they never did that again. <laughs> they really, oh, oh he takes his job way too seriously. Because <laughs> they thought I would just go out in costume and be me. And, and uh, you're sending me. You're sending me out in costume and makeup. I'm gonna be Scrooge. That's all there is to it. Yeah. So they never did that ever again. Oh my god, that's <laughs> hilarious. Do okay, you next ha- Scrooge. Okay, no, go I'm ahead. Good. No, okay, I told you people, I babble. <laughs> I don't know if anyone out there knows who June Lockhart is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know Timmy's mom on Lassie. Yeah. She was the mom on Lost in Space. Okay. One of the years I was doing PR in Columbus, Ohio. She was there promoting her new book about Lost in Space. Mm. And I got to this television station and they went, uh, Miss Lockhart is here. And I went, June Lockhart's here? I get to meet June Lockhart? I was just thrilled because, you know, wow, it's June Lockhart. Because she was in Christmas Carol too. <laughs> when she was a child, her dad, Gene Lockhart, played Bob Cratchit in a movie version of it. And she was one of the Cratchit children. Oh. 
Yeah. Gene Lockhart, you'll remember him from uh, A Miracle on 34th Street as the judge. <laughs> okay. And so I, I get to meet June Lockhart. And they went, well, Miss Lockhart has kind of demanded that she spend the whole time uh, on the couch with, with the other guests. I went, really? She's going to sit with me? <laughs> and we're going to be, be together? That's totally cool. They thought I would be upset that June Lockhart was going to be there during my interview. I was like, it's June Lockhart. Oh, I thought maybe you were going to say that they were just bumping you and just going to have her on the whole time. No, oh, okay. no. She sat with, with me you. during the interview. That's cool. And I was like, no, why would I be upset being interviewed with June Lockhart? That's a that's like a golden moment in in um in the life, you know. That's a great thing to remember because also that year, <laughs> I, I hi, this is my ego talking. Uh, also that year, Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer were in Ohio doing. There was some kind of anniversary for uh, the, sound the Sound of, of music. music, and they were there to do an audience participation thing with the Sound of Music stuff. And we were all in the same playbill. Oh. And I got top billing. <laughs> Hello. It was a picture of me, then Julie Andrews, then Christopher Plummer. And I was like, I'm saving this one. Because <laughs> I got top billing. I, I got top. Why did I get top billing? <laughs> oh, well, you were at the Ohio Theater. Oh, okay. Well, cool. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> So was June Lockhart a good interview? Yeah, she was. She was delightful. We did, yeah, I got to do my Dr. Smith impression for her, and she thought it was pretty good. And we talked about Lost in Space a lot and Lassie. Yeah, it was. I was a, just a total treat being with her. Uh, some people said, "Oh, so she's just this big diva, and she demands all this." No, I had a great time with her. Very cool. It was wonderful. Do you have any bucket list roles out there that you haven't done yet that you would like to do? Yes. Either of the two leads in Inherit the Wind. Mm. It was always my dream to do that show with Matt Campreth. With he and I as the two uh, people. And I thought that would just be the ultimate if Maddie and I could do Inherit the Wind. Unfortunately, Maddie is no longer with us. Right. And so that dream will probably never become a reality is because I'm aging out of that role soon. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe if they, you know, like Bill Hudson and me, we could do it. But yeah. They, but Bill, we, Bill Hudson and I look like brothers. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> so he's the good looking one. <laughs> I'm the tall one. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, that was inherit the win. Otherwise, uh, um, my next bucket list role is the one I go audition for. And I don't know when that will be. I don't. I don't know when when it'll be. Because there aren't a lot of uh, old guy roles out there. There aren't. There's a lot of, uh, like, little uh, British plays uh, that all take place in uh, retirement homes Mm. where the old uh, people that live in the retirement home get up to many antics (laughs) and hilarious (laughs) outcomes from them all, you know, and that are just, well, they're poop. Right. And so, but there, yeah, there aren't really a lot of good, meaty roles written for old people. Mm-hmm. Not just men, but old people. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it's hard because, you know, everybody, mainly people want to see the good looking people. 
<laughs> and I keep saying, you know, without us people that look like this, you people wouldn't seem as good looking. <laughs> <laughs> We're your measure of standard, Bubba. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you know, I have a I have a character actor's face, which means it's malleable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I was never the romantic lead ever in my life. This is not who I am. I'm a character. I never wanted to be the romantic lead, right? Because they're you know, I always wanted to, I want to be the old guy over there that says this line. Yeah, he's got this line. This line is a gem. I want to say these words. Yeah, yeah. Have you done anything else in theater besides just acting? Have you ever done any, like, directing or I directed like that? Uh, one show in my life, and that was back in our hometown of Falls City. And at that time, there was a Falls City Community Players. We couldn't call ourselves the Falls Community Theater because we didn't have one. We just sort of played wherever there was room. And this year was at the high school, and we did the unsinkable Molly Brown, and I was the director for it, and that one, and that's when I really, really knew that directors are the most amazing people that I will ever know, because they take all these people and all these words, and they work it in so that it's something that actually happens and people believe. How the hell do you do that? But no, I had a great time directing it. My uh, wife was in it. She wasn't my wife then. She was a friend of mine, but she was in it. We, she directed me in a show. I directed her in a show. We played opposite each other's show. And then a few years later, we started dating and got married. And her youngest son, our youngest son now, was also in the show. He was three at the time. And we taught him to say the word damn. <laughs> we didn't mean to, but we did. <laughs> but we did. But we did, because it was in the script. Yeah. So. But that, yeah, that was quite an experience doing that. I, I, the best part I loved was blocking the fight scene. There's a fight scene in that show that's set to music. And so it was great fun setting this fight scene to music so that certain hits or falls or whatever happened on the right downbeat with the right beat of music. You know, there was a big stinger and something musically and so there had to be something physically happening matching that on stage right. that was great fun it was hard but it was really fun mm-hmm. and i had a very understanding cast that put up with a lot of no 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 wait 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 with me as a director during that fight scene no no you gotta you gotta take a little more time to wind up the punch okay okay listen to the music listen to the music punch you know and they were really good they were very very kind to me during that because I had never directed anything before. Right. You know, and it was, it was, it was, a, it was fun. It was fun. I, I, I think I would like to direct again, but a little teeny tiny production, yeah. not a musical yeah. because those are big and that's, and I'm, I've done, you know, eight bazillion different musicals, but that's not where my heart lies. Mm-hmm. My heart lies in straight plays or comedies. Yeah. Have you One man, two governors. Yes. Have you had a chance to do any show more than once? For yes. Ex- for example, have you been able to do Our Town more than once? No, I have not. Is that one that you would do again? In in the drop of a drop of a hat. Yes, I would. I would like to do that show again. Uh my wife did it. 
back in Lincoln under the direction of Judy Hart, who is this wonderful, amazing lady. I know Judy. Yeah, and uh, Judy, my wife, Judy, <laughs> worked with <laughs> Judy on Our Town. No, I haven't done Our Town since I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> So what shows have you done more than once? Well, uh, well, I mean, besides like A Christmas Carol, obviously. Okay, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, mm-hmm. uh, Hamlet. Okay. <laughs> what other shows have I done more than once? Men of La Mancha. I've done that show. Uh, see, the first time I did it, I was it was in UNL Summer Rep, and I was one of the men of the Inquisition in the Night of the Mirrors. Right. You know, just hide the little young guy as much as possible. Right. And then I did it in Hebron, Nebraska, back in the little teeny tiny of Hebron, Nebraska, at their community theater. I did it there. And then I did it at the Lincoln Community Playhouse as the governor. Uh, in Hebron, I was one of the muleteers. <laughs> that should make everybody laugh. Okay. <laughs> and in Lincoln, I was the governor. And then I did it at OCP as Don Quixote. Yeah. So I, I think my next time I do it, I'll be Aldonza. <laughs> you might be able to give Jennifer a run for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've done that show four times. Wow. Oh, my God. Four times. Four times. Wow. 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 Yeah. yeah. And uh, with the caravan, we did Godspell, uh, was it 97 different times? No, I think we did it like two or three different times we took Godspell out because we were supposed to tour Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat one year, but then the Broadway people went, no, we're taking it on tour, and they canceled all other productions of Joseph. So we had to quick change shows and do Godspell again. Again. So, yeah, I've done that show a couple of times. I'm just one of the generic guys in it. Right. Unless you're, you know, like there's two people that have roles right. and everyone else is everyone else right. in the world. Right. You know? So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of shows actually more than once. Cause once I've done a show, unless I'm playing a different part, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can be, well, I've done this. I've right. explored this. Right. And then people go, well, how could you do Scrooge for 18 years? Cause there was always, some, it was a new cast every year. So there was something new to discover sure. every year. Sure. You know, I wasn't working with the same people every year. Mm. Right. Some of them came back. Some of them didn't, but it was new cast every year. So you got to explore new things. Mm-hmm. And Carl and Susie and the other directors were very good about letting us try new things and then saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Because sometimes, you know, what an actor, this is going to be spectacular. I've tried this at home. It's going to be great. And we do it in rehearsal. And, you know, and it, the, you look at the director's table and they look like someone's holding a small turd under their nose. <laughs> you, know? you go, well, I guess that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. Cork, what's your favorite color? My favorite color? Yes. Blue. Blue. Yeah. That comes up a lot. Blue, green. Those are. Oh, I don't like green. I'm not a big green fan or orange. He said wearing his orange shirt. (laughs) Um, I I, I like blue. I like pink. I guess I go for happy colors. Yeah. And I have a lot of granddaughters. So there's a lot of pink in my life. That's good. That's good. Do you have a favorite author? A favorite author? Yeah. Stephen King. Cool. I like uh, I like Stephen King too. What's your I favorite Stephen King book? It. 
Did you see the first? I mean, did you? Yeah, see, I saw the one. So that, okay, so let me ask you this: Did you see like the '80s version yeah, with did. Tim Curry? Yes. And then, uh, and then, did you see the newest one? Nope. You didn't. No, I have not. Is that because you like the '80s one? Or no. Because, oh, is, <laughs> is it because I'm curious? Do you not like horror films, or nope. is it because Stephen King's books? normally don't translate very well i said i i don't i'm if i've read a book i generally don't want to see it on the screen okay because i've made my own movie in my head yeah and they're gonna disappoint me the one that did not was lord of the rings i've also read lord Mm -hmm. of the rings Mm -hmm. that one did not disappoint me dear god in heaven they were long right you know it's another goddamn orc kill it yeah they could have been shorter, but you know, I, I don't think they they failed on that one so much. Right. But a, a lot of Stephen King stuff did not translate well. Right. I will. Mm-hmm. I will say. And, like and, Pet Cemetery. Oh uh, dear God! Don't see that movie. Run from it. I don't know about the new one. But the old I, one I saw the old one, and yeah. I was like, Ugh. I tell you, Misery was one where Kathy Bates, where I went. That's exactly how I pictured yep. Annie Wilkes. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly how I picture James Conn, not so much, but her, I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's exactly how yeah. I would picture. Even the way she talked. Yes. Her, the way she metered her voice, Mr. Man. Yeah. You know, I was like, yep, yeah. yep, okay, go, Miss Bates. Yeah. You have my heart. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I've been in love with her for a long time. And when are we going to work together? I know. <laughs> We need to. <laughs> there are all these actors in Omaha that I have not had the pleasure of working with that I, I really would like to because one of the great things about being an actor is whenever you work with new people, they teach you something. Yes. You know, I'm always learning something about this craft mm-hmm. from other people, even people who've never done a show before. They will teach you something you need to know. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to pay attention to what they're doing. You know, it's like, well, I'll go into rehearsal when it's my time to rehearse. Thank you. <laughs> you know, no, I like to sit in on the whole rehearsal thing and watch them because, right. oh, oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I do that and I do that when I direct. And like, if I direct musicals, I'll like go to all the music rehearsals and people are like, are you nuts to sit there? And I'm like, no, I said, because up until this point, I have like the Broadway soundtrack in my head. <laughs> and now I don't want to hear the Broadway people anymore. Yeah. I want to hear you because then that'll help me picture it in my head with mm-hmm. your voices in my head and yeah. not, you know. Yeah, that's the great thing about, I guess I'll never get, I'll never, I am old, but I'll never be old. Because as long as I'm in theater, I'm always learning, and I'm always seeing new things, and I'm always experiencing new things. And when you can be my age <laughs> and experience something new, that's a plus. Because like right now, the only new thing I have to look forward to is death. <laughs> <laughs> that's my next great adventure. You know, <laughs> no, you know, but really, you know, because I see friends that I that aren't in theater, that have retired. And dear God, they're dull people. It's like, oh, you are dull. And I'm I'm really a dull person. But if I'm doing a show, I'm learning and I'm experiencing. And it's, it's like, I don't even have to perform it for an audience. That's the least pleasurable part about theater for me in the world. 
the most pleasurable part for me about theater is the rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. Is learning and doing and chewing and eating it and and be, you know milking it and and learning when when not to milk it and learning when to shut the hell up, you know and. Looking into another actor's eyes. Is there anything that's cooler than looking into another actor's eyes when you're having a scene together? Have you ever worked with an actor that they look down while they're saying while they're talking to you? Yeah, it's like, and I, so, I, or sometimes they look up and away from you, and it's yeah. like, no, make eye contact. With <laughs> yeah. them. Where are you? I'm, I'm, I start looking where they're looking. <laughs> right. What do you see out there? Yeah. Well, I'm talking. You know, I, you look into an actor's eyes when you're rehearsing or performing, and there's that little of magic that the audience can can only catch on the periphery. Mm-hmm. You know, they see it. And they feel it, but not like the actor does. Right. When they're up there and you feel, it's so cool. I Mm -hmm. I wish there were, were, I should be better with words, but I'm not. Because sometimes sentence forming hard can't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And if I could find the words of what it really feels like, to connect with another actor on stage mm-hmm. during a moment. Even if it's a moment of, of complete and utter silliness, like in One Man, Two Governors, because you know, there wasn't a serious moment in that whole show. Right. It was just, hey, 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 here you go, folks. Here you go, here you go. Laugh, you're still laughing? Good, because you're going to keep laughing. You know, it, it was looking in another actor's eyes at that moment was still funny. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have seen Bill Hudson's eyes when he was getting the crap beat out of him. <laughs> Because that would have made me really happy. But, you know, I I love those moments. I love those moments. And I love rehearsing those moments of when to look in that actor's eyes and then when to give them the power in the scene and either blink or do a little look away. And that's when you've just handed them the power. The audience never sees those little blink moments because we're so far away from them. But you can feel the change of power mm-hmm. in the audience when, when another actor goes, I'm tied to here. It's yours now. Mm-hmm. And you give it to someone else. That's mm-hmm. the best feeling is when you give the scene to another person and they carry what you had and make it better. And what's cool is when, you're, when you've done, when you are involved in theater, heavily involved in theater, and you go see theater, you in the audience, you can you can pick up that energy. You don't want me in the audience. <laughs> I am a horrible audience. I am. I am. There are very few shows that I've gone to where I'm not. I'm directing it or performing it mm-hmm. when I'm in the audience. I'm going, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! What the hell were they thinking? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! No, 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 no! Wait, wait, wait a beat before you say that. Wait a beat before you say that line. No, no. Walk downstage. That's it. Put your back to him. That'll make it strong. You know, I'm always doing that. Right. There are very few shows that I've seen where I can get lost. Mm-hmm. The last time I did that was when the Omaha Playhouse did uh, Fun Home. Mm. And I went to go, my wife and I went to go see Fun Home. And I was captivated. That cast, that script, that direction, it, it, all that music, it all swept me away. I didn't direct or act that show for one minute, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's that hasn't happened for a while, and it was most pleasurable, most pleasurable. Yeah, because I'm a 
pitiful audience member. <laughs> if you see me walking in to see your show, just just go. No, send him home. <laughs> send him home. Just have the ushers refuse to see me <laughs> because I'll be out there going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that old joke, you know, how many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. <laughs> yeah. One, One to, to do, do it, it and nine to tell you how to do it differently. Yeah, I, I could have done it better. <laughs> yeah, I could have done it better. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm that audience member. I'm not seeing how I could do it better, but I'm seeing how I do. Oh no 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 no! Do it! Do it. Wait 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 wait! Now say the line. See <laughs> you see how much that works. Oh no, you don't because you didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One final question: What's your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word? Yes. Motherfucker. Corey Kramer, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I like this. Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyou5pod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. 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 That's theater talking.